you know, you go, it's almost suicidal. Like, you know, you lose a million dollars on paper overnight. You don't feel so hot and it happens. Right. I mean, like I think it was it 18 or something, whenever the market took a like 10% dip. I mean, I, I didn't have a job and I lost a million dollars on paper in the stock market and I, I'd wait for it to, you know, came up and then I sold everything right at that time. That's when somebody introduced me to, to lending. All right. All right, my friends, and welcome back to the started somewhere podcast. I'm your host, Ross Alex, and today we're on episode 30. Now to celebrate 30 episodes, I have Brian Burr joining us all the way from good old Houston, Texas. Now Brian is an active private lender in the real estate space. Okay, so if you're in real estate, you need to pay extra close attention to this episode. Trust me. Brian got started in the medical sales business out of college. He actually started his own business and grew it to millions and millions of dollars. It's a super incredible story and he shares everything, every little detail with us in this episode. I'm talking about all the ups, all the downs, all the challenges, and of course, the juicy stuff. Sit back, relax, enjoy the show. All right, Brian, welcome to the show, brother. All right, how you doing? Man, Good to be on. <laughs> I'm doing, brother. I'm doing, man. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here, bro. Honestly, we go back a couple of years, man. I love your story. I'm super excited to share it with the listeners. Well, thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, I haven't seen you in so long, but uh, it's always fun when we got together and you know had a chance to chat it up. Absolutely, bro. I love that sign. For the people watching this on YouTube... Uh, you see the signs, but for the audio listeners, you have a sign in the back of you that says, if you're not on Forbes, get back to work. <laughs> I love it. And then the one on top of that, what does it say? Fuck fitting in, stand out. Stand out. That's right. Dude. Yeah. You've seen a lot of these on Facebook, how they rotate through. Yeah. I saw a few small ones because you know, I thought they, they were appropriate for my personality. I love so. it, bro. How important is putting things like that on the wall to you, like being surrounded by like motivation and like quotes and stuff like that. Oh, it's, it's every day. I mean, when you step in like my office, which is a bedroom that I converted into an office, it's your surroundings. So I like tropical places. That's my place that I kind of, if I was to escape to, and I love motivational things and people. So I have like, I know the wall you can't see, but I have Edison. I have uh, Albert Einstein, Napoleon Hill, Andrew Carnegie, anything that has some type of positive influence around overall financial or, or wealth. Mm. I, uh, I try to like, you know, if I can tap into what they know or did, uh, I'm all about it. I love it, bro. I love it, man. Now for the listeners out there that are familiar with you and your work, what are you currently doing right now as an entrepreneur? Yeah. So I initially started off in real estate when I, I left to my full-time job or career two years ago and I started like anybody else. I was, I already had some rentals under my belt, did a couple flips, realized I really wasn't that good at, you know, general contracting or construction. And then I met someone at a real estate event that introduced me to, to lending and private lending and uh, syndications, things like that. And I really kind of fell in love with that from the passive aspect. It took me a long time to build capital, but once I had it, I felt that was more of my my, you know, you know, as money comes in and money goes out, you're just coordinating where it goes. I, I don't, I didn't have any real flips, you know, they take a lot of time from me. So mm. lending is great. I can control the deal from a paper aspect, but I'm not necessarily involved in it from a construction aspect. Really like that. Right. Okay. So you're, you're pretty much, you're the bank, the yes. bank of Brian Burr, right? right? I love it, man. Now, when you say that you are lending on projects, like what type of projects do you like to invest in, in particular? Mainly just, you know, single family, um, uh, you know, the standard bread and butter flip, nothing too crazy. I mean, I like to keep it. I always look at every loan that I do as if like, if I had to take this back, worst case scenario, and took this to foreclosure, you know, how would I get out of it? And so there, I get a lot of phone calls of some weird stuff and I tend to shy away from that. But I, I stick in a very small lane, but, um, yeah, usually it's a six to 12 month flip. Um, and I usually like to build a relationship with the borrower get to become friends with them. And I'm involved in the project where, you know, it's more like you have another set of eyes, not just a lender. That's, you know, that you, uh, you know, that you, that's like, like a business card that you call them when you need them. But sure. Them. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing you said there was building a relationship and 
yeah, I've been preaching this to aspiring real estate investors for a long time when they're looking for private capital. It's like when it comes to private money, it's a relationship based business, right? It's not like just walking into a, a bank and shaking somebody's hand that you, and, and, and taking a loan from them and you're never going to see them again. Like private capital is like relationship based. I'm sure that when it comes to the borrowers, like you want to see that they're experience like they have some skin in the game they know what they're doing like they're a reputable person not just going to take your money and you know screw you and run off and waste your time right yeah i mean anytime when i get at a real estate event if you know that it's it's funny in the beginning when you tell people that you do lending you know you almost think like who am i going to lend to but then you get to the point where people are, are just random people will call you out of the blue and it's a uh, you know they throw a bunch of stuff at you but I almost try to tell them enough to scare them away first, you know, tell them, I say, look, this is what I'm going to require. This is what I'm going to expect. These are my terms. Usually they're much higher for somebody I don't know. Hmm. Uh, as I build a relationship with them, I kind of become more comfortable. I see their work. I know that they can sell property. They can, you know, do the, do the work if necessary and then, you know, sell the property. So we're in that time frame when the loan matures. Uh, yeah. But man, you tell people you're starting to do lending, you will get some weirdos. I can imagine. <laughs> Especially if you're if you're doing it on social media, I mean that's opening the floodgates for some yeah. uh, some a uh, whole bunch of people, man, reaching out. But you know, I'm I'm curious. Have you ever invested in a deal or taken a look at a deal that you wanted to invest in and were afraid that things can go wrong, or afraid like once you like actually wired over the funds, you're like, did I just make the right decision? Yeah, you know, I remember uh, lifestyles. Of course. So I was involved with Lifestyles for three years before I took the plunge and bought my first rental property. So three years of being terrified of not, you know, thinking I needed to know enough, you know, questioning myself. And I took the plunge and uh, it took me three years to buy my first rental property. But then outside of that, you know, I bought three more within the next two years and uh, I actually ended up liquidating all of them. Mm. But the process, man, like some people can see something once and they go full blown. Like, you know, you, you got that personality where like I can buy 20, 50, 100. For somebody like me, I'm a B personality, very analytical. I take my time. I don't do anything over, you know, I just, that's just the way I've always been. I don't know why. But um, mm. yeah, it took me three years, man. Wow. That's, that's uh, awesome. You seem to be very self aware. Like you said, you're an analytical person. You probably don't just like to jump at the first uh, opportunity without actually taking a deep dive and looking at it and seeing if it's for you. You know, it's awesome, man. Being self-aware is important, right? It's one thing Gary Vee always talks about, uh, knowing yourself, right? Um, that's that's awesome, man. So what is it that you like about lending, like the, the passive income from lending versus the passive income from rental property? So um, problems with it, right? I mean if you're lending on a property, right? Like rentals, I guess you do have cash flow from it, but you also have the responsibilities of tenants, right? You have anytime they move in and out, you're going to have to change logbooks, things like that. That's, I, I really didn't like being the call point uh, for a tenant to call me like if something broke down. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, a lot of people out there, nothing against landlording because I was it, I understand it. And I had good tenants. I didn't have to evict anybody. It just, my personality at this point in my life is I want to be left alone. I don't want anybody to bother me. So uh, lending is more where somebody else, I'm lending them the money. They own the asset. They're responsible for everything for it. And then they pay me a monthly stream of income on interest only. Mm. And I like that relationship short term. It's not it's pretty much non-committal. We have a, you know, a document that ties my lien to their property in the event that they try to you know, try to hurt me or, or screw me. Right. But, um, Which would be the, the deed of trust and the promissory note, right? Right. Personal yeah. guarantee, Pers promissory note. Yeah. yeah. You know, I like that you said that, you know, about rental property. Because when I bought my first rental, I was super stoked. I actually, I bought it subject to. And when I tend to occupy it, it was great for like the first three months. I had just renovated this property, you know. Like it was in good condition. And yeah. then I start getting calls like, Hey, the sink is clogged. I need you to send somebody right now. I'm like, okay, well, we don't have an on-demand plumber available, but I'll work on somebody to come out. I got to pay a handyman 150 bucks to go out and drive to clear out the sink because they decided to put oil down. 
And the tenants don't understand that, that like 150 bucks, like that's a pretty significant chunk out of my cash flow. So you call me two times a month, three times a month. I'm, I'm, I'm breaking, I'm zeroed out for the month of cash flow. You know, I'm like, man, then I get a call. Oh, I need you to come out here because we hear birds in the chimney. I said, one day I had to, I had to get this guy. I said, listen, man, give me a break here. You're paying $1,500 for a four bedroom house. When something like this happens, can you just take care of it? Like, do you need me to send somebody? And I had to explain it to him and break it down. He's like, oh, you mean you have to pay somebody each time? I'm like, yes. Yeah. So I think there's like a, you know, a discrepancy between like tenants and uh, the owners, right? The landlords, right? Like tenants don't think like, oh man, I'm costing this person some money. You take them out of an apartment where they can call all day, every day, and somebody can just run over there and change it. And then you move that person into your house. Yeah. So did you decide to liquidate your rentals because it just became too much of a headache? I, um, I think I just wanted as few ties to me as possible. And, you know, going back to like where people could, could have access to me. Um, I, I, I think I just ended up selling them just out of, I just didn't want to be bothered anymore, man. I mean, I mean, it's was, it was really hard to say this. My, my last business was so stressful mm-hmm. and I was constantly on my toes and trying to do things where it's like, you know, I wanted to almost break free of anything that could possibly steal my time. Did um, you consider property management to alleviate some of that stress? I did, but of all the ones that I, uh, back then, I didn't know them that well, right? So this is before some of the other ones that are in the market today that are good. But of the ones that I reviewed in the past, like I just, you know, plus they take one month's worth of the, uh, I guess one month equivalent of what the rent would be, the reviews were so-so. Um, I did, but it was only four properties. And so I was like, you know what, Brian, if I can't manage four properties by myself, I didn't have any 10 or 20. Yeah. Yeah. Understood, man. So you're doing some lending, right? That's like your main, your main hustle right now. And you know, you bought some rental properties, but let's take it back even further, right? Because the show's called started somewhere. You obviously got started somewhere. So where were you, Brian, before the rentals, before the lending? Yes. In college, you know, like you and I are a lot alike. At some point early on, you know, like there was a day when you're like, I want to be, I want to be rich. I don't know how, I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I want to be rich. And um, I remember it was, uh, it was like my my sophomore year in college. And I just, I was really a bad student all the way through high school, uh, college, barely got into school. And um, I uh, was just fed up and I, I, got a book, got a, you know, I can't remember exactly what the first book was. It wasn't Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but it may have been, it may have been, uh, uh, I don't know, Richest Man in Babylon. I can't remember, but it was enough to kind of change my perception. Like, Hey, this is some good stuff. And I've never, ever been taught this and no one has ever, you know, showed me this stuff. And it was at that point where I was like, okay, I'm, you know, it's like one book leads to another book. You start mm-hmm. searching for something. I want to get to a certain place in life and I don't know how I'm going to get there. But you start, you know, little pieces fall in place. And uh, it was in college. I knew college really wasn't for me, but I finished it just because it was kind of like check the box. Mm. But um, what were you studying in college? Marketing. That's that's the degree where if you don't know what you want to do with your life, you do marketing. (laughs) Business administration, marketing, like the very vague degrees. Spent a lot of sales. Covers covers the whole different. It's like I don't know what to do. So got business degree though. Um, now, did you go to college because you were conditioned to go to college or did your parents want you to go to college or did you like genuinely want to go to college? No, I did not. I went to college because it was what everybody else was doing. It's kind of what you're, what you're conditioned to do. You go to high school, you go to college, you get the degree, you find an employer who's going to pay you what, you know, what they think you're worth. Mm. And, um, I didn't want to work for somebody. I mean, I was kind of a free bird to begin with, you know, to begin with, I always had a, my own ideas. Um, I did work for people, you know, I didn't start right out of college with my own idea or anything like that, but um, it took some time. I mean, I, I don't, I think I made less than $5,000 a, a month up until I was like 26. It was late in life, man, that I started making money. Mm-hmm. I was broke pretty much until about 20, yeah, 25, 26. I mean, 21, 22 years old, making three, four thousand dollars a month. I mean, that's that's pretty, that's good at the time, right? I mean, when you're 21. So, 
you know, you, you were making a little bit of money. It wasn't like you were working at like Mickey D's or anything, right? Yeah. What were you doing? <laughs> I used to work at Mickey D's, man. Trust me. Those paychecks are, are garbage. <laughs> you make it 1200 you, you still got the headset. I got the headset, brother. I'm ready to take your order. <laughs> uh, but, um, I'm curious, like out of college, when you finally did graduate, um, like, did you have like a recruiter place you in a job? Like, what, what did you go and do? Like, where did you go and work? Yeah, my my jobs out of college is uh, so, OK, in all fairness. So my dad had a medical business and I worked uh, part time during the summers and as a delivery warehouse, I guess, boy or kid. And, uh, but nothing was really ever taught to me. I was never being groomed to one day, like take over because my dad retired. And then I was pretty much like, I, I got to go do something. Right. But I, I pretty much was a warehouse guy. You know, I, I packed boxes, I cut boxes down. I delivered instruments to hospitals for the guys who were making all the money. Um, I had, I mean, I was always friendly towards them. I, mean, I was pretty likable. Like people like said, you know, they took chances on me by, you know, giving me opportunities. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's why I earned so little is because I was mm. at that particular moment in time. That's what I was worth. Mm. Very little. Interesting. Now, what, what do you mean by that? Like, that's what you are worth. Well, you know, a lot of stuff that you and I read is that when you start to apply yourself above and beyond what you're paid, that's when people will recognize that you're worth more. So I was an hourly guy. I showed up at a certain time and I left early or on time from when I was scheduled. So that's, I was paid with what I did, you know, moving boxes doesn't pay a whole lot, but whenever you can find out what's in the boxes and find out how to sell what's in those boxes to, to clients, that's whenever you can make more money. Mm. So it's, it's almost like a, like a skill thing and a mindset thing. Do you feel people are generally underpaid? No, not, not really. No, I don't. I mean, I know there's an equal pay rate, right? I mean, there's a certain pay, but I, I mean, you, there's a lot of people out there who have the ability to make more, but just really choose, choose not to. And I, I don't believe it's because of it's a lack of opportunity mm. because guys like you and myself, we will do whatever it takes, right? Absolutely. There's a lot of people out there that don't do that. And so I think your pay is completely equal to what your, what your value is to the market. I'll steal from Jim Rohn. He always says, what you're paid is probably equal to what your value is to the market, not what you're worth as a person. You're probably a good, you know, good member of the church, a good member to society. But unfortunately, the market doesn't pay you for that. Mm, that's powerful, man. That's real powerful because a lot of people, I totally agree, a lot of people may feel like they are worth more, but they never take the actions necessary to, be, to get paid more. Right. Or, or, right. or do jobs that would pay more. Right. Or follow a career path or a business like I'm sure we both can agree, like for people that work these jobs that they just don't enjoy, you have to be realistic about it. Right. Like you're going to cap out at a certain pay rate and the company's not going to pay you more because they can just fire you and hire somebody brand new that'll work for that pay. So you almost right. have to seek out other opportunity. Right. What was it for you? Um, at what point did you stop working in the warehouse? And you know, I obviously I, we've chatted and I know your story uh, a little bit, but I don't I know exactly how you started your own business. So what did, what does that look like? It was kind of by force, to be honest with you. So I was around a lot of medical for, for you know, to, to educate the people that are watching. I was in medical devices. So we sold anything. Well, the company that I was working for at that particular time sold, you know, total hips and total knees. As you get older, arthritis sets in. We sell replacements, which is like metal components that surgeons will surgically put in the patients. We sold a variety of things. But when my dad actually ended up leaving the medical field, like he was like he was done, he was retired. And I was kind of like, you know, just there. Uh, he had sold majority of his assets in that in that industry. And so he had an office and for like six months, we didn't do anything in the office. I mean, we just pretended like we worked. <laughs> so we had, we, uh, we had this small product line that this company, you know, allowed us to sell. And I would go out and try to set up appointments where I'd call my dad and say, Hey, can you help me, you know, sell? I don't know what I'm doing or saying or talking about. And eventually he got to the point where he was like, look, that's my past life. I'm, you know, 
good luck. You got to, you got to learn it. And, um, and so it, it, it was really, it was really tough. I mean, we made, I'm, we, I made relatively very little of my first two years doing that. And, uh, was fortunate to find a friend, a partner to come in and we did it sort of working together. And that was the beginning of how we built the business. So the, the inventory that you were selling was stuff that you already had that was left over from your, from your father's business. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. So let's say you had like, are we talking about prosthetics here? Yeah, it could be, um, like uh, metal components, like joints. Like if you imagine, you know, what your your knee, uh, metal knees, metal hips. Uh, I hope I have... never have to find out, Brian. Honestly, I hope Don't I smoke. never. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so you have all these metal, the, the these components, right? And now you're 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 deciding to yourself, hey, I'm gonna go out and sell these to the people that want to buy them. Like, like we have them, they're sitting here. I want to go and sell them, basically. So imagine, imagine your early twenties out of college, fresh, don't know anything, right? You're going to take your products that have to deal with patients, right? And you're going to go sell to a physician who spent the last eight to 12 years studying orthopedic procedures. Right. And they're going to ask you like, what is this? How does it work? And you're supposed to sell them, tell them how to use this product on their patients. I mean, the credibility level is so low. When a young guy, 20 years old, tries yeah. to sell it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can imagine. I mean, that's that's uh, intense stuff, and I'm sure it's not cheap. Like the the, the actual the components, right? So yeah. how was it when you first started? Like, were you getting a lot of results? Like, were you selling these things on your own? Yeah, so um, one of the companies had a very, very small product. And this is how this is what started the birth of the company. Um, I really wasn't that great at selling total joints, which are the big, the big components. The guys who were in that industry, they made a lot of money. They're with big companies, Stryker, Depew, J&J at that time. Um, but we had these kind of like knockoff companies, right? They're real small, like nobody's heard. They're in Sweden, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we had the rights to sell the product. We didn't have any IP. We didn't design, manufacture anything. We just had the, uh, like a contract to attempt to sell, right? So one of these small companies had this little implant for a toe, for a foot, and uh, it was it was designed to be sold to podiatrists. And I set up a few appointments to go see some podiatrists, and I found out that they were relatively they were friendly, like they actually enjoyed talking with somebody, even if I didn't know really what I was doing or saying. They they forgave a lot of my uh, my my mistakes, you know. I, they 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 didn't care the fact that I was weird, like. I'd go in, I'd try to be awkward. You know, when you're first selling, you know, things don't sound right. You're yeah. kind of you're sweating to death. Of course. And they were much more forgiving. Um, and I appreciate that. But that was the beginning to where I was like, you know what? There's a, there's a market here. And we started trying to find products that would complement those clients. And it worked. Mm. We started picking up sales. Guys started calling us. Momentum. And then, uh, you know, um, and, and there was a time when actually we had, we were making so little, this is before it started picking up, but we actually uh, tried to get a job with uh, Depew, which was J&J, &J, Johnson & Johnson, the big dogs, right? And, and I also tried to get a job with Stryker, but nobody would hire us because they were just like, look, you don't really fall into the uh, category of what we look for in uh, sales reps, which are, you know, ex-ball players, football players, alpha males, guys who are aggressive. I was, I was not that, that guy. But so we, we went a different route. Interesting stuff, man. So you yeah. said that you, 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 you met a business partner, I guess maybe you, did you come to a realization that you were going to need some extra hands on deck to grow this operation larger or did it kind of just happen? It kind of, it was by accident really. So there was a, a, a mutual friend, um, had a, uh, it was a, it was a, I guess a mutual friend knew a girl who had a, a guy who was coming in from Canada, he was, he was an ex hockey player and I don't know exactly pro and, you know, um, but he, uh, he played hockey and he didn't have any connections in Texas and he didn't have a job. And so we had drinks one time and I was like, well, look, this is what I'm doing. You know, I don't know if you want to do it with me or whatever, but he seemed like a cool guy. And, and, uh, he was like, well, look, you know, I got nothing else going on. Let's, let's go try to sell people. So we ride together and go talk to doctors and, we just happened to have a really good camaraderie um, to where guys started liking us, like hanging around us mm. and they, were, they started picking up business, but it was really just by almost by accident, to be honest. With you. 
I mean, we did work our butts off. But now, out of, out of curiosity, Brian, when you were riding around, like you were out in the field, going to different doctors' offices, like were you kind of like grinding like all day? Like, what what did your work ethic look like at the time? Like, what was your schedule back then? So when we started getting picking up business, like most surgeries have a start time at seven, which means you got to be there by six thirty. And then a lot of these hospitals have like a, like a, like a, like a check-in process, which almost takes 30 minutes. So you really got to be there by six. Mm. So early mornings you can expect. And then sometimes we'd have a few products that were like trauma related where you could get a phone call any time of the day, any time of the night. Um, and then, um, so, I mean, it, it really was, it was, it, it was a complete lifestyle. Like you really had to be submerged into it. It was not something where you could just check out. This is new to me, honestly, like super intriguing. I didn't know it worked like that. I figured like these places just had spare parts, like in a closet somewhere. Like, Hey, we need a hip. Go, go grab me a hip. So you actually had to show up to the outpatient operating center and like with the part and say, this is what's oh, going in the patient. Wow. You're in surgery. You're in surgery with the physician. So it's your job with your products is, is to make the entire surgical procedure go smoothly. So um, even though the doctor knows what to do as far as uh, anatomy, what to cut, what to saw, what to put back together, your expertise comes with the product, you know, different size screw lengths, different you know, instruments, how are they used? Mm. So there's, a, there's a lot of uh, referring back to one another in surgery where a doctor would turn to you and say, hey, is this, you know, how, how does this work? And so you gotta be on your game and uh, really know wow. so That's... you don't, that's yeah. yeah, that's definitely that's that's new to me. Learn something new every day. It's one thing I love about this show and hearing stories. I had no idea, honestly. Um, now the business started growing, right? Obviously, you you had results. You ran. You developed a successful operation, right? But you're no longer doing the medical sales business, right? Is no. it okay? So. How long did that run for and what led to you kind of stepping away from that to get involved in other things? Yeah. So from the period of starting the business and being dead broke was I was in the in the business overall for probably 15 years. But when I had my own, like it was me, all, you know, all me with, uh, you know, in my, in my business partner at that time, it was probably from being dead broke to selling the company about eight years. And, um, but yeah, it, it started picking up and by, I mean, we started gaining some momentum. Sorry. I got a yard guy. Can you hear my yard guy? Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> He's hustling. Yeah. I told him don't come here by three o'clock, <laughs> but he, uh, no, we started recruiting friends, like people that never graduated college, uh, guys who just wanted a true genuine opportunity to prove themselves and, and, and make, uh, above average incomes and uh, it started working like we had a really good team and we were kind of the black sheep in the industry nobody nobody would hire us nobody would take a chance on us but we had a, a really good group of guys and doctors started wanting to work with us and uh, medical companies started taking notice like these guys are contenders so and it took some time it took about probably like year three before we weren't being ignored anymore and you started making some some real money yeah. Right. Now, how did it feel for you when you started making like real money and you had that coming in? What was that like? Yeah, it was I was really happy to show that to my my dad, who my dad was really successful in his own business. Like he was he was good. But uh, to show him that I could like kind of prove myself worth to him because he didn't show me nothing. He, he's like one of those guys like, look, you go make your own money. You're not going to be gifted anything. He never gave me, you know, uh, <laughs> He didn't really guide me in the business, you right. know. He didn't give you the the silver spoon, the hand. Right, I get you. Right. He was, he was ass. Yeah, uh, so he was proud that I was able to to somehow tough it out and figure it out. Um, and uh, we were actually really successful with it. And uh, I, I could I could kind of tell, and that meant a lot to me because you know, as a as a son to any father, you're trying to you know, show show your self worth and, mm. and uh, gain your father's acceptance. But. Mm. Uh, yeah, he, he was always very supportive of me and you know, proud, and that kind of drove me to continue. What were you doing with the money at the time, right? Like, 
when everybody first starts making a little bit of money, most people want to go out and buy things they've always wanted. Like, did you make any purchases and maybe something that you regret or anything like that? Man, I actually, we used, so the house, my, I took, I borrowed money from my mom to, uh, to buy a house. And, um, there were some months I could barely pay my mortgage. But when we started making money, my goal was to pay down the debt on the house. I wanted to own the house uh, free and clear. Mm. That was my, my first goal. And uh, so I started making double payments, started having a couple of roommates, but I used the entire office or the house as my office. So the garage was a warehouse where I kept my stuff. And then I had office desks pretty much all in the house. But um, I mean, I knew from the, the onset, like the beginning, like I want to get to a certain point in life where I don't have to worry about anything and I'll do whatever it takes, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't set up to be a livable house. It was set up to make, you know, to make mm. an offer money. So you were smart about it. You didn't, you didn't go out and you, you mean you didn't go out and buy the Lambo right yeah. away. I wasn't making that kind of money. <laughs> I, wasn't making, I wasn't making truck money. You know, I didn't, I could have gotten leather, but I, I went, I went cloth. <laughs> but it's it's only an extra two thousand for the leather, man. That's how they get, man. man. So, what would you say, Brian? I'm curious. You know, the biggest challenge for you, like running this business, right? This medical sales business. What do you What do you say? What do you think was like the toughest part for you? Like looking back, man. It was, um, dude. It's mainly the hours you got to put in. It's, it's being up extremely early. Sometimes you're working Saturdays, Sundays, uh, but the business never seemed to stop. And so it was, I kind of used it as a means to an end because I knew desperately, you ever, that, yeah, who, I don't know exactly who quoted that, that, that like quiet desperation where I could put on a, a smile every day and, and see my customers. But in the back of my head, I was like, I've got to do this as long, you know, or as fast as I can to get it, to escape it. Like I, it was a, I made good money, but at the same time, I was always looking for the exit. How fast could I get there? Mm. But that was it, man. It was the, really, it was the, the hours because I'm just, I'm for, I just turned 40 and I, I was up until last year, I had never been married and I didn't have any kids, you know? So it was all dedicated towards getting to a certain destination. Mm. And I sacrificed you know, pretty much everything. I mean, I had girlfriends here and there, but as far as like, I wouldn't, you know, marriage is like, I can never do that just because you know, uh, it's too much sacrifice. I got to focus on the business. Mm, so it was a ton of hours. You know, there's a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs out there that want the results like that, but they don't really realize how much time it takes to get there, right? Like we're both in real estate. When I first started in real estate, Brian, I was driving from Katy, Texas to Baytown at least four times a week through traffic. We're talking three, four hour round trips in a hundred degree weather and then having to go work. I mean, it's miserable in Houston yeah. with the traffic, right? <laughs> Who wants to drive from Katy to Baytown at three o'clock on a, on a Wednesday afternoon? Like that's, that's miserable. <laughs> but I was willing to do it, man. I was willing to do it, right? You gotta be willing to do it. What advice would you give somebody right now that's like brand new, and they see on social media, you know, a lot of people making all this money, right? The laptop lifestyle, it's like, you know, the overnight success, but we both know it takes time. Like what, what advice would you give a new entrepreneur, man, that, that thinks that, you know, they're just going to make it happen overnight. Yeah. The thing, it's really easy to get discouraged about, uh, uh like everybody has a number in mind, right? Like, like, you know, if I can get to a million dollars or if I can get to 2 million and, what I've discovered and what somebody had told me was that you don't necessarily need to be like a millionaire or multimillionaire to, to live like one. So it's really completely dependent upon how quickly you can get your current capital reserves to cash flow. And I know a lot of people out there that have, they're sitting on a million, two million, three million dollars. But if you were to ask them how much a month is coming in from their cash flow, it's relatively nothing. Mm. So it's either tucked away with a money manager who almost it's damn near hard to get your money out of. They're never, they're, they're not giving you distributions. That's really the advice is don't get caught up on the number, get caught up on how you can make your current cash cash flow. Mm. And so what kind of return are you getting on your current reserves? Because if you can eliminate a bill, 
you know, say you got a $20 gas bill, but you're able to take your current reserves, create an income stream to, to knock out that gas bill for the rest of your life. It's a life-changing moment. To me, it is. That's that's true, man, right? It's so it's like um, if you have $100, $150 coming in a month passively, and let's say you put that towards your cell phone bill each month, it's like you don't have to work to pay your cell phone bill anymore. Yeah. Right? Like that that's a powerful principle right there, right? More people need to realize that. That's yeah. why cash flow is so so important. So and and, and I, I'm curious for you, Brian, what's more important for you? Is it cash flow or is it large chunks of cash coming in at one time? Cash flow, baby. I'm 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 a I'm a cash flow. I can't do anything. I don't even look at investments if it doesn't have some type of return monthly or quarterly. If someone like this has got a five-year plan where we're going to double your money, I don't give, don't give a shit, don't care. What kind of return do you look for, like annualized? If I'm uh, if I'm lending, okay, look, ten. I don't get out of bed for anything under nine, so nine, ten, twelve, fifteen percent, and then sometimes these have equity kickers on the back end. That's great because that'll put you in somewhere on the, but. I could do the best. I'll tell, I'll share this maybe a little later on. I got a, I've got a really cool trick on what somebody uh, told me and I wish to God I could give him credit for it, but I don't, I can't remember the gentleman that told me, but um, if I'm just doing straight lending, yeah, like, you know, nine to 15%, I got some guys that, you know, pay me 15% just because, you know, they, they actually, <laughs> I pay for all the servicing and all that. They, they prefer to pay me that because they know, when the money they need money, I get it to them. So we're so, we're, so basically, if you if you put out a hundred k in twelve months, you want nine k back, at a minimum. Minimum, at yeah. Fifteen k yeah. on the high side. Yeah, I like it. Awesome, yeah. man. Interesting. Most people are settling for like two percent returns a year, dude. Like they, more <laughs> more people need to learn about if that right. Oh my god, yeah, because you got inflation working against you. Of course. And then you got taxes, right? So if you got it in the CD or money market, what are you really making? Yeah. And if you put up the money manager, who's like, yeah, you know, I bet you I can get you between, you know, seven to 10. First of all, none of them can, none of them can touch what the, the, the overall market's going to do, you know, year after year after year. And after they take their 2%, 1%, you know, assets under management fee, whatever these guys are going to charge, your net return is probably going to be somewhere around 4%, 5% mm. anyway. And then you pay taxes on it. Right. Right. So, Real, real estate is, I don't think, I mean, I mean, the only thing I do in the stock market is index. That's it. I just do what Warren Buffett and Jack Bogle suggest. I don't do anything else because I don't, I don't want to take the time to learn something that is uh, speculation. Yeah. You know? Again, yeah. No, no Bitcoin. <laughs> no, no Bitcoin for Brian. I hope I'm wrong on Bitcoin. I really do. I hope I'm wrong. It's almost at 10K, man. It's almost bad. I know. And I know you like Bitcoin. And I'm like, I'm, that's why I don't talk shit about Bitcoin because... There's going to be a day when I know I got some friends that are really big into Bitcoin. And I, I told them, I was like, I hope you're right. Hope you're right. Yeah. It's so volatile, man. I, I really don't think anybody ever knows what's really going on. They just, it's all speculation, right? Because if you think about it, like there's really no value behind Bitcoin, right? It's just digital. It's just, it has the value. The market gives value. There's no like company behind it, right? Like Apple stock or something. So it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely on the riskier side, but I'm surprised at how strong, steady it's been honestly like even when it crashed back down to like 3k it never went under that like we didn't see bitcoin go all the way back to like 500 dollars. yeah right? and now, now it's yeah, back I'm, up to 10k i'm one of the people that like i like the concept of uh you know what bitcoin is because i don't like anybody having control over one type of currency like the government like you know them knowing everything that the, i like the concept of the the blockchain and how you know, it's, it's undetected and, you know, I, I like that concept. I just wish I could, I, you know, yeah, I just wish it was uh, you know what I'm saying? You know, you know, well, there, obviously there's like investment purposes and then there's like real life use where you're spending Bitcoin on things. And I think that's like the biggest downfall of Bitcoin is nobody wants to spend it. You know what? You, you don't want to go to Jersey Mike's and buy a sandwich with Bitcoin and then you see Bitcoin double the next day and you're like, well, I just paid hundred dollars for a sandwich, right? Uh, I think that's like the biggest, the biggest problem. And it's also really slow. Um, it's actually faster. I might get hate for this, but it's faster. If I sent you money through PayPal or like cash app, I think that's a lot faster than if I was to send you Bitcoin. Really? Yeah. Bitcoin's been sluggish lately, but 
don't hate me in the comments, listeners. I, I know my crypto <laughs> lovers are going to flame me for that. But So, Brian, you eventually moved to selling your company, right? You built up this company. You were hustling, putting in the hours, putting in the time. And then one day you decided to sell. Like, where did that come from? Why yeah. did you want to get out of this company? Yeah, so... Most of the sales training, behind the scenes, uh, tiring, you know, firing, bookkeeping, all that stuff. I mean, I had some people that I had a girl that worked in our office to help me, but most of it largely was dependent upon me. So the the business partner, he was really good at selling. He had a, he had his thing. He was out there doing with his clients. And that was a much easier type of lifestyle because he could just sell and then go home. I had to deal with like you know payroll, uh, making sure inventory was right, making sure the sets going to the hospitals were straight. It just it got to the point where it's like it just wasn't fun anymore, man. And, and you know my personality is like if it ain't if it's not if it's not fun, I don't want to be really a part of it, right? I want to have fun and make money. So it got to the point where I was ready for that phone call, and uh, almost in disbelief because it's you know we had a distributorship, which means we just had a contract to sell a product. We didn't own anything. The the implants were somebody else's. Uh, we just had relationships. So, you know, for a company to come in and say, hey, look, we're going to pay you for your relationships. It's unheard of in this industry. It never happens. And we were really, really fortunate to get that phone call. But that that's... So were you really already like, thinking of selling or did this just happen out of the blue? I didn't even know you could sell. Didn't even know you could sell. Okay, okay. So, so let me back up here. So you didn't own the inventory, right? You were pretty much just like getting it like on credit and then selling it and then paying the the manufacturer and then they you pay took you your cut. They, they paid right. you, yeah. So a company calls you up one day and says, hey, we wanna buy your relationships, right? Cause you didn't have any uh, uh, IP, right? right? They just wanted to buy your relationships. Yeah, well, so what was that like, man? Like, it's like somebody called me and say, hey, I wanna buy your Facebook account. <laughs> In, in the medical business, acquisitions happen almost like every quarter, right? And so what was happening is we had, let's just say our small distributorship, say we had a five different product lines, each one is held by a different company. We just had the rights to sell those five products. Sure. So a big company like say Stryker will come in and they'll just make a mass acquisition. They'll buy the entire small company and then we have the rights. So. What they do is they buy the product and they buy all the intellectual property that comes with it, all the inventory from that small company. And then they start dealing with the people, the sales reps, the sales teams like us. And they usually give you one option, which is, you know, you can, we'll take all your best guys and then the rest of you guys are gone. Um, you can, you know, team up with us for a short period of time. Um, but it's most of the time they just dissolve whatever you got. Like you just lose the product line. You keep on going. Striker has it now. Mm. It is what it is. So this was one of the few times where the company was like saying, hey, look, you know, what if you focused just on our products? You got rid of everything else. Uh, they bought our biggest, uh, they bought the product line that we were selling that we were having the most success with. They bought it. So it was, it was going to impact us negatively. We were going to lose a lot of sales. But instead of just, you know, kicking us to the curb, they said, what if you got rid of all your other small stuff and then joined us? And then we we're like, okay, well, what's that look like? What's, you know, what? We have value in all these little lines. What what does our time and our, our relationships look like from a monetary standpoint? And that's how the, nego the negotiation started. Mm. So you ended up selling, right? You closed the deal. And now you're no longer showing up to doctor's offices. Like you're not putting in that hustle on a day-to-day -day anymore, right? What was that like for you? Like what was that transition you know, going from being so busy to now being like, almost like out of work. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was different because when we had, we had about 15 to 17 sales reps and uh, we were always getting phone calls early in the morning. You know, these were my friends, you know, technically they were guys that we had known for a while. Uh, we just all worked together. And, um, but uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of a shocker because now I was more on the corporate side. Part of our agreement was, I had to work into, you know, as part of their management team for three years, I think three years. Mm, okay. And, um, so I stayed with them for three years and then it got to the point, you know, the way corporate politics are is I just didn't fit in. Like, you know, my personal opinion with how things should be going did not align with the corporate uh, vision. Mm. Well, I had to go, but they were, they were, we were all, you know, nice about it. Mm. 
know, I just told him, I was like, I'm probably not the best fit for the company. Let's just, you know, call a spade a spade and let me, let me go. Mm. Now, were you working out of Houston at the time or did you have to? Okay. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Stryker probably has offices. Was it Stryker? Are we talking about or was it? Uh, This was a company called Wright Medical. Ah, okay. Big company, I guess, I assume. Yeah, and then Wright Medical was just acquired by Stryker for like four or five billion dollars. It's crazy, dude. It's crazy. So actually, there's a huge, I'm sure Stryker's like all over the world. There's a huge like warehouse here in Jersey. I always drive by. It's like Stryker on the side. Uh, yeah. Like massive. I, I don't know if I'm, if I'm wrong about this, but does Stryker do something with like tanks? I could be totally wrong. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. Um <laughs> Looking back, Brian, like over your career in the medical field and you're running a business and, you know, doing really, really well and, you know, being successful, is there anything that you regret or anything that you would change knowing what you know now? Man, that's a, that's a good question. Um, man, I don't know if I could change anything that, I don't think so, man. I mean, I think I ran it pretty, pretty straight and ethical and I treated our guys well. We paid them extremely well. We had a great time while we did it. I, okay. Yes. I do have an idea to anybody listening. I think that if, if I couldn't go back in time, I would have not done or had a business partner. And I think, I know you've heard a lot of horror stories with business partners, but God, it's the truth is when you're broke, it's really easy to come together and start something and work towards something. But um, when money starts coming in, people's priorities, families, expenses, they change. And sometimes, you know, they're out of balance with each other, like partner wise. And uh, and you you, you almost grow, you know, you're, I don't know, I don't know how to put this, but yeah, you almost grow apart, you know, sometimes. Uh, There are a lot of good partnerships out there, but I say majority of them end in, you know, the problematic, they don't end with it. I can relate to that, bro. Honestly, I've had a few partnerships in my short career that are no longer intact. Really? Um, yeah. You know, when you first get started, it's like, it feels real good, right? You have somebody you're grinding with them and you know, it's exciting and you're making money together. But as you grow, like, did you ever feel like, do I really need this person? Like, I don't know what kind of deal you had with maybe 50, 50 or like 70, 30 or something like that. But has that, did that ever cross your mind? Like, do I really, do I really need this person or are they bringing enough value to the table? Are they doing as much as I'm doing? Yeah. Like, is it fair? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, you know, cause he definitely contributed. Right. But we just, we just had different roles. And um, I think what it came down to when I really started, when we, we started getting calls on selling, it was what we thought the company was worth. And that was really out of whack. You know, like I said, I'm more of a like paper numbers kind of guy. I had a, you know, a conservative number uh, for the, you know, what we'd be worth. And again, these things never happen with, with distributorships. They're never acquired. So I didn't want to go into a meeting and give them a pie in the sky number and then not be taken seriously where they mm. would walk. You know, because I wanted to get out. I was ready to get out. I was ready sure. To sure. It was almost like a, from a liability standpoint, you know, like we were kind of cowboys in the industry. But, uh, I, you know, I kind of I, I knew the writing was on the wall. It was almost like a house of cards, man. It's just waiting to fall. And I was like, I got to get out. Got to We got to do something soon. So uh, I've I've actually so I've been to your house before. Right. One day, a couple of years ago, you threw a mixer and I, I saw something that was framed that you got framed in your house right you want to talk about that or no i don't care yeah all right so you you have a check a framed check tell us about that check man yeah so i'm always a big fan of always frame your biggest check right and so uh we had two little small companies that sold and so for the we had one one of our arrangements was we got a hundred grand for 12 months. So we got 1.2 million. We, we chopped that up between partners. And uh, so we framed that check, which was hundred K a month. And then when we sold the right medical, we had a five year, uh, sorry, we had a $5 million deal on the table, 3 million paid up front. And so when that was chopped up, they cut us each check for a million and a half. That was my, uh, 
that was my, you know, check. But like, of course, Uncle Sam gets his hands on a little bit of that. Of course, but, uh, man. But still, dude, yeah. that's a huge accomplishment, man. Right? I mean, a check, a one check for 1.5 mil. Yeah, you know, what do you do? You go to the bank with that, and you're like, I'd like to deposit this 1.5 million dollar check. The teller's looking at you like, is this a typo? <laughs> dude, you know what's so crazy? And this was a, a funny is banks, the way they treat you, um, um, they have these like, you know, behind screens, they have like priority clients, right? How they treat you. Like whenever you don't need banks, they want to give you as much money as you can possibly. It's really weird. And then when, like when you need money, but don't have any money, they don't want to give you anything. Mm. It, it was, it was really how they treat you is a lot differently. And that's just something that I know. Like, I mean, I treat everybody the same. I mean, I, you know, everybody's no matter broke or rich, I don't care. Everybody's cool with me, but banks, like I could see how they treat certain clients. And then I'd come in there and, and then they pull up my account and like, oh, you know, like Mr. Burr. Um. <laughs> You're right about that, man. That's another thing I could relate on, bro. I, I wear a lot of sweatpants, backwards hat, and t-shirt. I look like a bum half the time. I don't know, man. COVID's got me looking bad, man. <laughs> I walk into a bank, man, and I get the, you know, uh, how's it going? And then when they see the account, they're like, something changes. And they're like, oh, right. how can we help you? You know, it's interesting. Yeah, right. Yeah. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be like that, man. You know, but uh, it is what it is, man. You know, I'm curious, Brian. Being that you're, you know, you're, you're, you're more on the passive side, right? Like, how do you spend your day, right? It's 24 hours in a day. You're not currently like showing up to an office every day. You're working from home. Like, what? Yeah. How do you spend your time? Do you, yeah. like, do you well, ever get bored? Like, what do you do? <laughs> You know, one something that may be good for the viewers is something that was kind of shocking to me, and maybe this helps them. And this is why I'm such uh, so passionate about things that actually cash flow over like long-term equity plays, especially when you're you're trying to free yourself from maybe a job or industry you don't like. But when we sold, when I was released from that company and I had X amount of dollars, my uh, my dad, who's a financial advisor, right? Nothing against them. I'm just they're in a different industry, but um, I had all of my capital reserves net worth in the S&P 500 index, which I, you know, with Warren Buffett and, you know, all that, all that, you know, what, what they recommended. Had some stuff with what my dad suggested too. But anyway, going at, so there was, I realized that whenever I was getting a quarterly distribution, it wasn't covering, like, imagine you have like close to like $4 million in a bank account, right? And then you have your quarterly distributions are not covering your monthly bills. So, I mean, I was used to making a set level of income. Here I'm rich on paper, right, in theory, from a stock market standpoint, but my my cash flow is not keeping up with my monthly expenses, which is really weird. I don't really have, all my stuff is paid for, house, cars, all that shit's paid for. Hmm. It didn't make sense to me. I'm like, well, how am I, I'm almost moving backwards, how, you know, and if the stock market has volatility in it, like that's even more emotional because one day you're rich, next day you're broke. You know, you go, it's almost suicidal. Like, you know, you lose a million dollars on paper overnight. You don't feel so hot and it happens, right? I mean, like, I think it was it 18 or something, whenever the market took a like 10% dip. I mean, I, I didn't have a job and I lost a million dollars on paper in the stock market and I, I wait for it to, you know, came up and then I sold everything right at that time. That's when somebody introduced me to, to lending on real estate. Wait, 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 pause. You lost a million dollars on paper? It came over, back. It came wait, back like overnight or over like a span of a couple of months. It took maybe a couple of weeks, but I could just, I saw the value of the account slowly just getting chipped and chipped and chipped. And by the time, I mean, it, it, it I had to, I didn't sell it. Right. I had to wait for it to come back up to the value that I, you know, cause you only but, really lose when you sell. Right. 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 Yeah. You, you 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 realize the loss when you sell it. But I mean, imagine everything you worked for in the stock market because I didn't understand real estate at that time, other than the, like the little rentals I had. But dude, I wasn't. I mean, it was that was to go upstairs and to tell Chelsea like hey, she's like, hey, how's your day going? I'm like, <laughs> well, dude, you know, I would I would have threw up. Yeah. I, that's sick. Holy, how'd you pull up? Like, how'd you dude, cope with that, man? Prayer. Oh my God! Holy! Can't go back shit. to that industry. That's yeah. That's wow. 
it came back it came back thank god right i mean i was able to 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 exit out of the the and i still do a little bit of indexing here and there but it's not my primary focus right um if it's like with covid whenever the s p dropped like down to 2400 2300 whatever it was i bought more you know yeah. now it's up three thousand again i knew that was pretty safe but um but whenever you don't understand whenever you don't have real estate and you don't know it and you don't have that avenue to make money i mean and all you're left with is a stock market it's fucking it's terrifying man mm. real estate's time. a lot safer right definitely a lot more uh le less volatile right grant yeah. cardone's been preaching that for a while man uh real estate over stocks but there's two sides of the coin right because there's people that'll preach the stocks and if you were if you're running a hedge fund yeah absolutely stocks are the way to go Absolutely. See, see, for me, I feel like stocks are more fun. I, I don't know. I feel like real I'm in real estate, but to me, real estate's kind of boring. It's not that it's boring. It's just very slow. It's like you got to wait well, four months, five months before you see any changes. Well, that's the difference. You see, I like, I like, uh, I don't like excitement with money. You, I get it though. We, we're, our personalities are different. I'm boring, tried and true. I like small returns, consistent, paid regularly, right? But that, that's just different difference of a personality. Someone that looks at my stuff, they're like, oh my God, that's just like, really? Like first D or first lean D? That's, it's boring. I'd rather, and I, I get that. It's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it's just, it's my appetite for risk. I appreciate that, man. Everybody has their own risk tolerance, you know, and uh, it seems to be working well for you, man. So, you know, much props to you, bro. Much props. <laughs> but I'm, I'm curious though, like, how do you, like, what does the average day look like for you, right? Like, walk us through that. Like, what time do you wake up in the morning? What do you do when you wake up? Do you have, like, a routine? Well, prior to COVID, I mean, I used to work, wake up and work out really, really early. Uh, about five. I'm always, I've always been an early riser. I mean, the best moments of the day are usually in the morning. But um, I've been pretty consumed with, with building the house across the street, or at least, you know, not building it, but just overseeing, what, you know, what they need. Um, but that, that's, what's great about, about lending is really, you have the flexibility of your day to, to choose what you want to do and who you want to spend time with. I mean, I still look at real estate on the daily. I love it. Um, I like meeting with the guys I'm lending money to seeing their projects come together. And if, if they can make a quick 30, 50, $60,000 on a flip, and I, I gain a little bit of interest, 6,000, $7,000 worth of interest over the course of, you know, six to 12 months, mm. good for them good for them. We have a great arrangement. I hope they make a ton of money. I don't mind making a little bit of interest, but that's, that's the arrangement. That's, I love that's it, man. Yeah. Do you find time for hobbies? Man, I play soccer. I'm a big soccer fan. Okay. I, yeah. Soccer's great, man. Yeah. I don't like I mean, to man, watch it so much, but it's fun to play. It's boring for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh that's cool man have you been playing at all like during the covid like did they start reopening um like parks and stuff where you can play games yeah and, yeah. yeah we play wednesday and saturday 24-hour fitness man i don't think it's opening back up i mean like the ones in midtown they would even give customers a response you can't they don't even i have no idea when they're opening no up. kidding it's driving me nuts because there's no gems other than orange theory that's around here for uh Oh, maybe I'll do Orange Theory. I don't know. Yeah, you could do uh, Memorial Park, the outdoor. Outdoor? Uh, outdoor yeah, like Muscle Beach status, man. <laughs> yeah, bro. I, I, this this whole COVID stuff is just getting old That's now, crazy. man. I'm getting tired of this, honestly. Yeah. But, um, you know, Brian, I ask every guest the same question. I'd like to extend that to you, if that's okay. Of course. In your entire life so far, what has been the absolute best advice that you've ever received? Man, I think, do you remember last time we, uh, we spoke and it was on a, God, it was a, we, we interviewed at, uh, the office. Yes. It was a while back. Way back. And it's, it's still true to this day for me, but, and again, some of your viewers are not going to agree with this, but it's okay because we're all different. But that advice was, is that it's like, if it doesn't cash flow, it's not an investment to me, those words are gold mm -hmm. because the cash flow, I mean, once your cash flow exceeds your monthly income, it's just one big ball of cheese or, 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 you know, snowball that just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And you can't stop it as long as you don't do something crazy, like buy a, you know, something nuts. 
But for the most part, you just get, you just have more disposable income month after month after month. You're just, it's your, so life is really, you're investing, you get more cash flow. You invest that extra cash flow into more investments, which spin off more cash flow. And you get, it just, it's, it's the best thing ever. If you can one day get yourself there. I love it, man. Great advice, brother. If it doesn't cash flow, it's not, not an investment. And with that being said, Brian, I want to thank you so much for being a guest here on the show, man. Absolute pleasure to have you. Uh, for the people that want to reach out to you, you know, hit you up with maybe some business opportunities or just connect with you, give you some feedback for being on the show. What's the best place for them to do that? Uh, my, actually, my cell phone, if you really want to call, call me, I usually can get back to you pretty quickly. It's uh, 713-620-8148. Awesome. All right, brother. Brian, enjoy your day, man. And we'll chat soon. All right. Sounds great. Take care. All right. All right, my friends. And that wraps up episode number 30 of the Started Somewhere podcast. Big shout out to Brian. Thank you so much for stopping by and sharing value and your story with the listeners. And a huge thank you to the people listening. You right there listening to me now. Thank you so much for stopping by. Whatever platform you're watching this on, I truly appreciate it, and I do hope that you subscribe. If you do enjoy the show, consider giving us some feedback. It will really let me know if I'm doing a good job or not. We're going to keep the content rolling, so stay tuned for the next episode. I'll see you then. Take care.